This podcast includes unapologetic logic and reason and may not be suitable for all audiences. In a world full of nonsense, he's been called the voice of uncommon common sense. He sees the abnormal that many find normal. Author and award-winning speaker, he is Chris. If we were going through this uh, bank default situation and Trump were president, would this be handled differently? Would it be a different situation? Well, materially, no. And maybe this is the problem that some people have with Trump. He wasn't afraid to speak up. He wasn't afraid to put his neck on the line. And I believe what he would have been doing is that he would have been stepping up to say, hey, we're going to protect the deposits and we're going to make sure this is handled properly and we're going to find out why this happened. Now, why is that so important? And, well, you see the the lack of that happening. All of a sudden, there's all this uncertainty. I mean, the the the, the path forward has pretty much already been charted. People are like, oh, they're, they're bailing out these uh, billionaire um, what they were really was bank investors. I, I'm not really sure what the deal was with that bank. I would have imagined some of this would have come to light. But usually, if you put a million, do- a billion dollars rather in a bank, you're on the board. You know what I'm saying? Not usually just the unprotected, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it, customer. You, do you really think that somebody deposits a billion dollars for? Uh, 1.5% interest, and it's not even uh, protected by the FDIC? No, they don't do that. Something weird was going on right there. As it turns out, a portion of the bank's assets, uh, it seems to be we're like venture capital-type situations. These are usually uh, back-of-the-house deals where I come from. And I don't know what the present state of things is. Maybe it's changed a lot. Back when I was borrowing money, which would have been, um, I don't know, 2006, 17 years ago? Man. Well, I was in it for a while, too. But anyway, you could um, you could go to banks, uh, and I, I have to believe it still happens. Uh, these were business people. And so you have local banks. Uh, there was one here, I remember, that was a— uh, a family that owned a large uh, car, car dealership. They, you know, wanted to have their own bank. It was fantastic. Put a little bit of money in. They get a couple of their wealthy buddies to put a little money in, and then they can uh, write themselves big loans. It's amazing, really amazing. This is what happens. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know, in your town, there's probably a couple of big movers and shakers. Most places there are, right? Uh, you know, I know, for example, uh, where we had one of our properties, cement was big, and it was this big company that, you know, basically ruled the roost out there, really. And, you know, they were a good neighbor. They were good good to have as a base, contributed a lot of money to the school district and the tax base, and they had a lot of clout, and they kind of did what they wanted, and it wasn't a problem, so it all worked out pretty good. But let's just say you have somebody like that, somebody maybe a big farmer or uh, somebody has a big machine shop in town. You might not even know, right? These businesses aren't real uh, public-facing. And let's say the guy, you know, it's a family business. Who knows? These days, you know, maybe they got uh, $25 million, $50 million. I don't think it probably takes that much. 
Uh, I forget what you need to be an accredited investor, million-dollar net worth. But you don't need to be investing a million to be an accredited investor. Probably be the same with banks. But anyway, a couple million bucks. You get a couple of your buddies that you know that have a couple million bucks. Maybe there's some family uh, money that gets uh, held in the trust that you can have moved around for this purpose of, of starting banks. It's fantastic. It's not quite that easy. It's not like you just go you know, sign up on a list and become a bank. There's a whole regulatory process, and you're going to pay, uh, you know, fees to, to consultants, and you're going to need a vice president, and he, you're going to have to steal him away from the big bank and blah, 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 blah. But anyway, my point about this is these business people that started banks for the uh, business benefit that it all, they have a back of the house. Not all of them. Not all of them were into it. But usually... If you say you wanted to borrow money for something, what would be an example? Say you're a customer of the bank, and uh, maybe your credit's not so good, your business, for whatever reason. Maybe you got in trouble, maybe you got unreported income, uh, I, I don't know, maybe you got a tax lien hanging out there that prevents you from borrowing money commercially, whatever. One in nine million reasons that, that businesses can't qualify for a traditional bank loan. And you really need this piece of equipment. You know, it's going to be two hundred grand, and if you don't get it, then you're not going to be able to fill this million-dollar order that you really want to fill. Ba 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 ba. You go. They bring you in the back, and they say, "Okay, uh, Joey. So you want to buy the the machine for two hundred grand? What are you going to give us for collateral?" That's the first thing they say. Some people would know these as hard money loans. Some people would know them as loan sharks. Legal loan sharking in commercial loans, all completely legal in commercial loans. Very little in the way of you know commercial loan law. I shouldn't say very little in the way of commercial Not Not in terms of the, the terms that you can charge, price and terms. So, you know, Mr. Big Bad Banker with Mr. Deep Pockets, he says, uh, you know, what, what do you got to offer me? Well, I got my house. Okay, go get the note. You give them the bank, you know, you have the house free and clear. Maybe you don't own it free and clear. Maybe you have 200000 in equity. He says, all right, I'll take that. With a firm warning, don't you worry. I'll throw you and your family right out if you miss a payment on this. Do you understand? Um, it's no joke, really. Then he's going to say, what else do you own? What do you mean, what else do I own? I just gave you 200000 in collateral. I got to have two things. And it's going to be cross-collateralized. And I'm going to take you out at the knees. If I want my money back. I want it back in a year, and I'm not playing around. This is how they do it. Are you serious or not? That's what they'll say to you. In my case, I said no. Adios. And I got into a situation on my first big real estate deals. True story. I had been, this is, you know, 2007, I guess, if you can imagine trying to borrow develop, real estate development money in 2007. We went to like a hundred different lenders, couldn't get financing, and uh, and it really was uh, it had little to do with us. Certainly, if um, you know, we would have been uh, you know higher net worth, more experience, all that kind. If it wasn't our first deal, kind of thing, probably would have we probably would have found a different different route. But it wasn't going to be commercial lending. I can tell you that, not for the asset that we were dealing in. And I really wanted to do the deal, kind of like the the machine story I just told you. And I went to a couple of those banks in the back room, 
And I walked out of there, and uh, I had a business partner as well. And I said, I don't know about you, but there's no way I'm doing that. I'm giving you the Cliff Note version. And he agreed. So we were calling, I mean, we were just dialing my finger to the bone, calling banks, commercial lenders. See, people don't realize this. Uh, at the time, uh, we were borrowing about $3 million. Um, a commercial loan of that size, they don't have to give you anything. Like, yeah, tell me about the deal. And you spend all this time and uh, you you know provide volumes of information on your business and every dirty secret of your life. And then they call you back and say, nah, it doesn't really fit our portfolio. <laughs> what? So they don't really have to, to, to tell you anything. There's a whole market of uh, loan... Uh, uh, what do you call them, like brokers, yeah, loan brokers, mortgage broke, sham and a half. Uh, we never got caught up in that. We never fell for that one yet. Well, it's $1,000 up front. $1,000 up front, what? You don't even know if you have any money to lend me. Well, it's for me to make a few phone calls to tell you what you already know. So we weren't getting our financing. Well, I had a couple of friends with deep pockets, and uh, I called one of them. First one I called, developer friend down in Virginia. And um, I said, John, uh, do you remember the conversation we had? Yes, I do. I've decided to move forward with a deal. And as you predicted, <laughs> rightfully, I've not been able to secure the necessary financing. And he said, uh, you don't say. And uh, I said, you know, what would it take and what would you charge me? And he laid it out. And I said, deal. I'll be back in about a week with the documents you requested. And uh, <clears throat> we did pay a premium for that loan. It was about uh, 12% interest in a market where money like that was going 9 7 if you were like super credit, you know, like had the cash in the bank, didn't even really need the loan. It was like a convenience thing kind of thing. A lot of that goes on in uh in the commercial world is to, well, deep pocket companies is between the tax advantage and I don't know, you know, whatever they're doing, uh, they'll borrow money that they really don't need to borrow and the banks are happy to do it for the, make a couple of bucks. <laughs> anyway, I just spent 10 minutes telling you all that because I think that Silicon Valley Bank was doing back of the house business out of the front of the house the way it sounds. A big portion of their bank assets, uh, from what I recall, if you did those deals, uh, the money was not coming from the bank. That was not a bank deal. They were working out of the bank's office. Um, and then the, the, the people that you were dealing with, they might have borrowed the money from the bank. You see what I'm saying? They say, okay, Chris, you want uh, $3 million. I'm going to borrow the money. The bank won't lend it to you because you're a schmuck, but they'll lend it to me because I'm worth you know, $400 million, and I'm on the board of this bank, and so I'm going to borrow the $3 million, which is going to cost me, you know, 5%, and I'm going to lend it to you at 12 Yeah, thanks a lot. In the case of my buddy, none of that was happening, by the way. Uh, he wrote me a check out of his business account. Pretty that, Talk about an easy way to do business, all based on trust. There was a few documents, don't get me wrong. But based on trust, because a guy like that knows that basically in that situation, uh, whether or not he gets paid back is a matter of whether or not I decide to largely. And, and not that there wasn't collateral and things like that, but 
in that situation, they were going to have a very difficult time. Uh, you know what I mean? If we really wanted to, to scam somebody, it's very possible. Uh, but we didn't do that. It was a one-year note. And despite then, uh, I actually – so then uh, we, we did this huge renovation on this commercial property and repositioned the whole thing. It was a fantastic story. Uh, saved a business that was, otherwise would have went bankrupt, opened a new one, uh, brought business into town. And it was really uh, a work that I'll say that uh, for a number of different reasons I was really proud of and proud to be a part of. But um, despite the fact that, uh, you know, we had a lot of equity, great cash flow, great credit, great cash, uh, the, the, the business, the banking problems of that time during the Great Recession were affecting us. And I wasn't sure that we were going to be able to get a permanent mortgage on the doggone thing. Shopped and shopped and shopped, was getting ready to call my buddy and be like, dude, what do I got to do for an extension, please? I thought it was going to come down to that. And um, Jonathan, I said Joe, didn't I? Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan and Jonathan Jr., half the time I dealt with his son, he used to drive me nuts. The father I loved, the son he drove me nuts. Now, good people all around, really were. They helped us big time. Helped us get started in business. And that was a lot of what went on. It used to. I don't know that it happens anymore. You know, if they had not have been gracious enough to do what they did, we wouldn't have gotten into business, bottom line. And I could tell you many stories like that, many people in real estate especially. Somebody gave them a shot, and they ran with it, and they made it. They don't all work out, right? Anyway, uh, we paid it off in 11 months here. I was like, I was about a day away from making a call to say, buddy, I I don't know if I'm going to be able to make the deadline. But, uh it was funny. I think I did float it out to him like around month 10. I was getting nervous. So Jonathan, uh, say, you know, do you ever, do you ever do extensions? <laughs> no, Chris, we don't. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I wouldn't think you would. Oh God. Talking about the, um, uh, anxiety, uh, whatever you want to call it. Tough times, tough business. You're going to do, do, uh, work in that arena. Very cutthroat. Anyway, this bank, something was going on, but what difference does it make? And uh, listen, I say, would it have been different if Trump was handling things? Absolutely, because he would have came down and said, listen, uh, this is uh, insurance money from the FDIC, not taxpayer money. And it's not. Use the money, protect the depositors. Look, at the, at the end of the day, the, the FDIC is going to get their money. They just have to go through the work of doing it, and that's where the political influence can mean the difference. I said this to you yesterday. This is a scam and a half. What do you mean? that the, the, the guy with $100 billion, it's like, sorry, it's gone. What do you mean it's gone? Whoa, 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 whoa. The, the, the bank has these banknotes debt out there. That's their assets. So, okay, the bank doesn't have the cash to pay my interest. The bank goes defunct. Great. Give me the notes. Transfer them to me. That's exactly what, under the law, I believe, it's called the unjust enrichment. You don't just take. Uh, sorry, we can't meet our obligations so you get nothing. Get the hell out of here. This is what Trump would be telling you. And now, and now what do you get in the news? Oh, it's a bailout, blah, 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 blah a bunch of nonsense. Every uh, bank disaster that's gone on in the past hundred years has gotten a, a full bailout. And somehow... There's still $125 billion in there with the FDIC. Now, I'm not suggesting that this isn't uh, part of a bigger problem. 
But the way they've been handling the whole thing, what's this one headline? Um, Fed's new backstop shields banks from $300 billion of losses? What? What $300 billion of losses? That some opportunist was going to come in and, and just wipe it up, mop it up, probably Chinese. Maybe that's Biden's real interest. He, he wants these things to default. So some foreign investor is going to come in and buy the, those commercial notes for pennies on the dollar while the American depositors get screwed? Get out of here. But why are they saying a new backstop? They've always done this. And he said, well, what are you, just raising the limit on the insurance? I wouldn't call it that. I guarantee you that the money's going to be recovered within the, the limits of the depositor's insurance. I think, um, I want to say they like $250 billion in assets, this bank, $11 billion of it insured. I guarantee you there will not be $11 billion in losses on this thing. And even if it is, even if it's, even if it's $20 billion, so the FDIC is going to eat $10 billion on that? It's nothing. What, that people are going to just, sorry. Now, I know when it's people like Meghan and Harry, you say, I don't know, let them, let them feel the pain. That's not how it works, my friends. Not at all. Other banks having problems, third bank folds. I don't know, they're blaming this on uh, interest rates. These banks are so over-leveraged. That's the problem. And their cash margins are so thin as a result of it. One of the things the Fed has done is made it easier for the banks to borrow, which they absolutely should have done. It should be an automatic, really. Maybe pending review. But the banks, if they get... Look, they're making the VIG on the interest, right? That's the bottom line. The bank doesn't have any money. There's, there's, you know, two cents for every million dollars they lend out. I'm exaggerating. But for every dollar in deposits, well, what did I just tell you? Uh, uh, you know, I'm not saying there wasn't more in deposits. Maybe maybe $30 uh, billion on, on almost $300 billion in loans they wrote out. So 100 to 1, or 10 to 1, rather. Ten, $10 in, in loans for every dollar they have deposited with them. Huge leveraging, unlike any other business, by the way. Can't do that in real estate, not even close. Just the opposite. Be able to borrow, you know, max 80%, even in the craziest the circumstance of the, of the full value. So 0.8 as opposed to their ratio of, uh, uh, of 10 to 1. Big difference, right? I wonder uh, bank stocks do so well. Problem is, so they're just making the difference on the interest. And that's really how you say, well, they, they borrow for two, they lend it for seven. Uh, that's not what's happening. That is not at all what's happening. The, they're taking a dollar, paying 2% interest on it, and then lending it out 10 times at 7%. So the first time they lend it out, it's five. they're only making a profit of 5%. But the other time, it's like a full 7%. And there's other fees in there that's not exact either. Seven times nine, 63 and five, 68% they're bringing in on your dollar. Think about that. It's not exactly like that. You know, even, even bank margins tend to be kind of slim, believe it or not. But it's that lever. They have to leverage to make a profit on it, really. 
the way the whole system is designed. The whole fiat money has to go through boom and bust. Should be expected. We're probably overdue. There's so much funny money rolling around, nobody thinks that there's ever going to be a problem. Well, maybe you just won't be able to get things like food. What are you going to do then? Uh, then this happened in the Great Depression, and people had wheelbarrows of money, couldn't buy food. What do you do? What do you do in practical terms? I'm going to tell you, I've seen a few ups and downs, and I've been through some serious ups and downs. And uh, you got to, one, keep your overhead low. And, you know, if, if, if your overhead is high right now, make the changes to get it low. Driving around an expensive new vehicle, trade it in for a used clunker, man. The cheapest that makes sense for you. Lower your debt as much as possible. Increase your available cash and have an emergency plan. It's very simple. And the way you get on track financially is you keep track. I'll tell you a funny little story. When I was in the Marine Corps, I would join the Marine Corps when I was 17. And I didn't really learn anything about financing, you know, or, or, or money or money management and had never really had a, a steady income before the Marine Corps, 17 years old. So, I don't know, around 19 or so, I'm hooping it up. And you don't make a lot of money. And back then, you could go to the PX and you could uh, write a check and ca- get cash that way because ATMs weren't as, as prevalent. And the ATM, even though it wasn't a whole lot further away, I had a motorcycle at the time. Um, that was problematic because I didn't actually have the money that I was withdrawing. I would, like, do it, you know, two days before payday or something like that. And uh, two days turned into three. And, and one day, the, the check got there before uh, payday did, <laughs> which, was, of course, was the uh, payroll's fault. It wasn't my fault. Um, and the other thing I did uh, – so the check bounced, of course, and then the Marine Corps, everybody knows about this. It's not like there was a big secret. It was like a, like a billboard, I think, went up on base. And um, I was getting ready to come home, and I bought this computer. I bought the motorcycle. I spent all the cash I had, plus I owed money. And it was like, you know, exorbitant interest, like 18% or some crazy number like that. And uh, anyway, I'm, I'm getting ready to get out. And uh, I've got this debt. I had to take a part-time job. I'm in Hawaii. I got a lot of leaves saved up, and um, wanted to, uh, you know, be enjoying myself. Instead, I had to take a part-time job working as a janitor in a in a school, and paid off my debts doing that. Uh, came home though with not a lot of money, and it really created a lot of hardship for me. I bought a, a toolbox with some tools and a pickup truck, and and went to work. That's what I did. And, uh, I, you know, I could tell you the rest of the story, but I, I spent a fair amount of time digging myself out of that. And I said, you know what, never again, never again will I do that. And, you know, I had to learn and understand. And the, and the first simple thing is you got to live within your means, whatever that is. And beyond, it could be hard. You know, some people have a hard time. Uh, I remember, by the way, when, uh, 2006, uh, I was doing quite well financially. That changed abruptly, and it's hard to make that adjustment. You know, your ego takes a hit. It's hard. You know, you're providing for your family. But guess what? You know what got us through the tough, the low overhead? I mean, we lived so modestly for so long, and that low debt, when the opportunity came for me to start a business, guess what? And the cash that I had saved, that's what enabled me to go do that. And it was still tough, still brutal. Beyond brutal, really. 
Beyond brutal, brutal. All right, here's a couple other quick stories I wanted to run through. Oh, speaking of money, I was going to buy some silver the other day because uh, I kind of like having a little precious metal, you know. I think it's a good thing. We got some gold. We got some silver. Let me get some more silver. I went to look buying at retail. Silver's worth about 20 an ounce. To pay about buying it by the ounce, I'd probably buy a block of I'm thinking like 300 or something like that. It, I think it got down at that volume, I think it was like uh 24, 25 an ounce. So I'm, I'm like, that's a 20% VIG, like right out of the gate. Plus, you got to pay shipping, I'm sure. That's not going to be cheap. I'm looking at that, I'm thinking, is this a good investment? Like, I don't know if it is really at that price. I And I'm looking back at the historical price, and I'm like, you know, to, for it to go up 20% just for me to get to even? I don't know. What do you think? I think it's good to have a little stock of pre, uh, precious metals, but as far as an investment, I don't know. Uh, this was a big change. An article in Politico, Biden is supporting an Alaskan oil project. He has to. I mean, this is so ridiculous, uh, the environmentalists. I- I'm an environmentalist. Let's make sure we dr- drill in a clean way, uh, in a, an environmentally uh, uh, um, what you, uh, uh, responsible way. But it has to be done. We have to have energy for the country. Even Biden uh, realizes this. And I'm not surprised at all that he's doing a flip-flop. He's doing a flip-flop because there's an election coming. And don't worry, he's going to promise everybody everything. He knows how to get it done. He'll give you what you want to. What do you want? Just get in line, I'm telling you. Everybody's like, I don't want, I don't want less government, less debt. You better go, get it while you can. Grab those. Get that green. Let's get that green deal cooking again. See if I, I'm trying to get solar panels. I don't know if I told you that. If I could get some free solar panels, I'm, I might actually vote for Biden. How's that? You get, Uncle Joe... If you can get me free solar panels, I'll throw I'll throw you a vote. How's that? <laughs> he can lie. So can I. He, he can make false promises. So can I. Listen to this headline. Norway offers a step forward in eliminating gender ideology. They are going to wisely make it illegal, like many other European countries, for minors under the age of 18 to go through this gender mutilation genital mute it's disgusting and and the people that have been performing it should be hanged they should be brought up and hanged for what they've done to, to, to these children it's sickening these are kids with emotional mental health issues that they completely took advantage of who paid for this at the very least all the money should be taken back they should be wiped out i don't know I could tell it, it really irritates me well, Norway's doing the right thing, even if the news is going to try and still coat it in a, in a white color or whatever. I thought this was fascinating. You ever hear of Veterans Stadium? Veterans Stadium was the, the stadium in Philadelphia before they built the Link, Lincoln Center, Lincoln Financial Field. The banks put their names on a stadium. Amazing, really. Not only are they getting 68% interest on your dollar, but then they get a, a billboard on the side of the stadium just to show you how great they are. It's amazing, really. Anyway, Veterans Stadium was the old stadium. Well, the AstroTurf had 16 different types of PFAS. I didn't know there was the, the, the different kinds. I kind of suspected. PFAS is big in our area. They're saying it's in the drinking water. 
And uh, they say a lot of it came from the Willow Grove Air Base and uh, the runoff from that. But that can't be all of it. Uh, but here it is in other products as well. And part of it was this um, this uh, this AstroTurf. And lo and behold, the old Phillies players of that era, like huge uh, brain cancer. And I, I forget the other thing that, that killed them early. Can you believe this? That the AstroTurf might have made them sick? I mean, the, the patterns, the uh, circumstantial evidence, you know, in, in political circles, they call that a conspiracy theory. But here, I guess it's science. Just depends on the point you're trying to make. Fascinating, really. This is interesting. Pennsylvania Hospital revoked the property tax exemption in a warning shot to other nonprofits. The tax clampdown. These hospitals enjoying not paying... Uh, any real estate tax uh, turns out doing so illegally. Is it going on in other parts of the country? I don't know. Here's the story. Woman left paralyzed after a robber body slams her to the ground. Uh, let me tell you what really happened. A black man, uh, after pushing and shoving and unsuccessfully uh, robbing this Asian woman, wouldn't this be Asian hate? Why isn't it being looked at as a hate crime? Isn't it merely the fact that he's black and she's Asian? Or can it only be white people that are accused of, of hate crimes? Why the disproportionate number of white people being accused of hate crime anytime uh, simply because it's somebody of a different race? Fascinating, really. Why, when they talk about Asian hate, do they not cast it in the light that it is, which is blacks attacking Asians? Not to say that no whites attack Asians, not to say that no Asians attack anybody else but largely the crime and the violent crime that you hear about is blacks attacking Asian and poor neighborhoods. The, the, uh, the, the, the Asian merchants being attacked by blacks for their money, as was exactly the case here. All right, The news doesn't want to say it because they say it's racist. But you already know that I'm a white nationalist, a misogynistic, blah, 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 blah. So I'm free to say these things as it really is. And here's my broader point. This is why guns are so important. Because it allows a little Asian woman to defend herself against the big, mean black guy trying to take her money with such callous disregard that he'll slam her head off the pavement until she's paralyzed. What's even more amazing, I thought of this, uh, this black hoodlum, Far more effective fighter than those five black cops that beat the heck out of that black guy uh, down in, uh, where was that? Where was that? Mississippi? Forget what city that was in. Right? Remember that? Those black cops wailing on that guy and still couldn't take him out. This guy, one slam, boom, done. All by himself. He didn't have a gun. He didn't have anything. If she had a gun, she would have been able to defend herself. Tell me again how guns are bad. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm going to leave you with this. This is fascinating. When was the last time you heard anything in the news about the uh, so-called Ukraine war? This in Politico, the U.S.-Ukraine war unity is slowly cracking apart. Putin just said the other day, be careful, Ukrainians. Look at what America's loyalty to Afghanistan got them. He was completely right on that. Hey, God willing, I hope to be back tomorrow. I sure hope to see you there. In the meantime, make it a great day.